this is just too big an initiative, too big a potential victory to weaken when we're quite frankly close to entering the home stretch. Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast for the foreign policy and global development communities and anyone who wants a deeper understanding of what is driving events in the world today. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg. I am a veteran international affairs journalist and the editor of UN Dispatch. Enjoy the show. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. PEPFAR is an acronym that stands for the President's Emergency Plan for AIDS Relief. It is the largest foreign aid program targeted at a specific disease, and it is widely considered to be one of the most successful U.S. foreign aid programs ever. The president, to which the P in PEPFAR refers, is George W. Bush, who started the program in 2003. It continued and expanded under President Obama and even thrived during the Trump years. But today, its fate is uncertain. Funding for PEPFAR is provided by Congress every five years, and typically this is a highly bipartisan and wholly uncontroversial affair. It was due to be reauthorized this year, but with the end of the fiscal year rapidly approaching, this legislation has not gone through. At issue is domestic politics around abortion. Long-standing U.S. policy prohibits American taxpayer dollars from funding abortions, but anti-abortion groups in the United States have falsely accused PEPFAR under the Biden administration of somehow indirectly or secretly supporting abortion. This is incorrect, but the idea has infected Republican politics. Several Republican members of Congress who once supported PEPFAR are now preventing a vote on its reauthorization, threatening to undermine what one of these very members of Congress once called the most successful foreign aid program since the Marshall Plan. Joining me to discuss this all in detail is Gail Smith, CEO of the One Campaign and former head of USAID. We kick off discussing the history of PEPFAR and its successes before having a long conversation about the implications for the fight against HIV and AIDS should PEPFAR fail to be reauthorized. As always, feel free to reach out to me if you have questions or comments or suggestions of topics I should cover or people I should interview. You can use the contact button on globaldispatches.org. And while you're there, sign up for the newsletter. We send just a couple of emails out each week to newsletter subscribers 
that includes expert analysis on current events beyond what we can feature here on the podcast. And I often write pieces myself to give you some of my own perspectives on international affairs. And for premium subscribers to the podcast, you might have noticed that I have been offering some of my own you know, more personal views on key issues in international affairs. Most recently, I offered some insights into the potentially very problematic arms deal that is brewing between North Korea and Russia, which would upend like 15 years of UN efforts to curtail North Korea's nuclear weapons program. That's available to premium subscribers via Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you'd like to access that episode and unlock our entire archive of premium episodes, please follow the links in the show notes. Now here is my conversation with Gail Smith, CEO of the One Campaign and former administrator of the United States Agency for International Development. Can you take us back 20 years and explain the circumstances in which PEPFAR was first created and what the kind of global landscape of HIV and AIDS looked like back then? If you think back two decades, all the evidence was rising and alarming that this virus called HIV was gathering speed by storm and that it was impacting in particular low-income, middle-income countries with tremendous power and weight. It was literally kind of slicing through entire villages, communities, ministries, and governments, and taking people out at an alarming speed. We were seeing the same in the United States across Europe, but the scale and scope of it was much, much greater in some of these other places. So that's one picture of 20 years ago. The other picture of 20 years ago was grossly insufficient world attention, a great deal of stigmatization. HIV and AIDS was something people didn't want to talk about. It was frightening. There was targeting of some groups, allegations going here and there. So there was a relative inaction on the part of the international community to do anything about it. So it was a very, very, very stark landscape. And it's in that context that PEPFAR was created, and this was in 2003 by the George W. Bush administration. Can you kind of remind listeners of the politics of that moment that enabled PEPFAR to be born and to become what you know would eventually become a really successful global health intervention? What was the politics of that moment? Well, you know, if you look at the politics of this moment, you would say it's very surprising that this ever happened. You know, compared to now, it may not look as partisan as it seemed at the time, but there were political divisions, as you might imagine. There had been members of Congress from both the Democratic and Republican side who had been talking about HIV and AIDS and raising the alarm bell and doing some things modest but consequential to kind of get it on America's map. What President Bush did was a very, very, very bold thing announced at his State of the Union address is he announced PEPFAR and the investment of billions of dollars in a fight against a disease. Again, people were very wary of talking about. 
at a time when, you know, billions of dollars is a whole lot of money. And it was rooted at the time in his administration and from the Republican side in what was described as compassionate conservatism. It had tremendous support from the faith community across the faith spectrum, but also from right to left and back again. It had support among many of the foundational supporters of the Bush administration from the conservative side. It had support from prominent liberal Democrats. So he does this huge thing, billions of dollars, we're going to take on HIV and AIDS. And by the way, it's something that there was enough, small as it was, enough of a foundation of strong Republican support and Democratic commitment that he was able to pull it off. It was remarkable. And so it was born. How did it work? And early on, I, I know you served as the administrator of USAID for a time, you know, in the Obama administration. But can you just kind of walk listeners through, you know, how USAID took this huge financial commitment from the United States government and translated it into meaningful programs to combat HIV and AIDS? Well, you know, the way it was built was actually a bit separate and apart from USAID. It was housed at the State Department, run by a very smart guy and ongoing friend and colleague, Mark Dybul. And it drew heavily on the ability and capabilities of USAID, but also the Centers for Disease Control. So it employed those two agencies as the on-the-ground partners, as the scientific development global health expertise to build out programs in countries across the world that in the initial stages, again, understanding where we were at the time, was very much on an emergency basis. It was the early days of trying to deal with testing, with trying to make treatment available at a time when it was wildly expensive, of identifying implementing partners on the ground to just make the initial run at getting ahead of this virus. That developed into actual programs by country, working with partners. The Global Fund for AIDS, TB and Malaria was born around the same time. The faith-based community on the ground and from the United States, other NGOs. So it kind of built out a program and a foundational layer that focused on testing, on treatment, and also on general awareness and just putting this issue out there because again, it was kind of under the surface and hidden at that time. So is there maybe a specific program or intervention or anecdote that you could share about, say, a intervention or something that's been funded or supported through PEPFAR that you think was like particularly impactful? Yeah, I think there are a couple things. You know, look, in the early days, the number of people on treatment and this was thousands of people were dying every single day, was very, very small treatment, was very expensive. PEPFAR in its early days built that out to get to the point where a million people were being treated. Today, 20 years later, cost of treatment has been brought way, way down. We've shifted from multiple pills to literally a single pill in many cases, and there are 20 million people on treatment. To remind people, treatment today is also a form of prevention, that there's been like scientific progress. And we know now that treatment can be used to prevent the spread of HIV and AIDS. And that's something that's very exciting. 
you know, one of the great things about PEPFAR that I want to get in here early is that my dream would be that it's someday we change it from the president apostrophe S, right? The president's emergency program on AIDS relief to the president's plural. I came into the Obama administration. What an extraordinary foundation to have laid and what a great thing to inherit this thing called PEPFAR with which we could literally change the world. The scientific evidence on treatment as prevention came through during that administration and enabled us to pivot and tailor the program a bit to help, again, increase the number of people on treatment and adjust the program. So all that scientific analysis, iteratively as it has come in, has made the program even more effective and stronger. What has been overall, over the last 20 years, the impact of PEPFAR on global statistics around HIV and AIDS prevention and deaths? Because it's been like remarkably successful. It's just, I think, helpful to emphasize to listeners just how successful it has been. Okay. So think about this. There are today 20 million people receiving treatment. That means 20 million people. That means at least a generation of people who not only have not died from HIV and AIDS, but who have the opportunity to survive and thrive. One of the other big pieces of PEPFAR has been what's called mother-to-child transmission. There are a lot of deaths that came about because mothers who are HIV positive passed the virus on to their children. New treatments allowed for a reduction in that. There are today five and a half million babies that have been born without HIV. In terms of deaths, the death rate has been brought down somewhere between 65 and 70%. So there are still like, don't get me wrong, there's still a number of people dying from HIV and AIDS, but the reduction has been almost a two-thirds reduction in the number of people who are dying from the disease. Together, Mark, what that's meant is that the scale and scope and therefore the potency of this virus to kind of take over the globe has been dramatically reversed. It's still out there, but it's we're getting close to the point where you know, it's kind of contained, if you will, and not just running amok. So PEPFAR has been this catalyst for huge progress on the fight against global HIV and AIDS. And up until now, its reauthorization by the United States Congress hasn't been controversial. You know, as you said, it had this broad bipartisan coalition supporting it. But as of late, there's been some fissures in that once broad bipartisan coalition. Can you just explain to listeners what has happened over recent weeks to call into question the potential reauthorization of PEPFAR? Well, first of all, I think the political issues swirling around this don't really have much to do with PEPFAR because there's still very strong bipartisan, in fact, I would call it nonpartisan support. There are Republicans and Democrats on both the House and Senate side who are very, very strong supporters of the program. The reauthorization has become a vehicle, if you will, for other issues. And one of the issues that we know is out there and very prominent in our political debates is reproductive rights and abortion. And there are those in the Congress that in order to make sure or elevate the issue and their position on abortion, they kind of want to hold PEPFAR up on the grounds that PEPFAR is in some way potentially supporting the provision of abortion services. The fact is there's no evidence to support that. 
under current law, you can't use foreign aid in any way to support abortion services or advocacy. PEPFAR adheres to the law. So there's a discussion going on to make that evidence available, to work this through. And I'm reasonably hopeful that it will be worked through. It's unfortunate to be sure. I think it would not be a good move for either party or in fact for the United States to fail to reauthorize for the signal it would send. But I do think that underneath all of the political swirl that's going on right now, there really still is strong bipartisan support. So hopefully we can get over the hump. So I do want to talk with you a little bit later about various reauthorization scenarios and what that means and implies for PEPFAR. But just to kind of like hammer on on this political question, as you noted, its reauthorization is now in question to a certain extent because it's being caught up in domestic American politics over abortion, which in previous reauthorizations, it hasn't. And that I think has a lot to do with the kind of internal politics within the Republican Party. Broadly speaking, do you draw a connection at all between the decision last year by the Supreme Court to overturn Roe v. Wade and the sort of unprecedented potential that PEPFAR one year later may not be fully reauthorized. Do you draw that kind of connection? You know, maybe. Frankly, I can't really speak to the motivations of the members. I do think, and I think all of us are aware of this, that for both parties right now, this is a very big, prominent, in the top five political issues of the day. And it will continue to be certainly as we re-enter the campaign season. So for sure, that's an issue that is in the forefront of people's minds. I don't know that this is a grand political strategy. What my hope is, is that this is something that can be rectified by making clear what PEPFAR funds and doesn't fund, and that it does adhere to the law, and that there's the data and evidence to show this, and that we can avoid doing something that I think would be hugely detrimental to all of us, regardless of party, which is to send a signal to the world after 20 years that something that has been a huge, visible mark of American leadership, and American leadership that has been seen by people all over the world to be just American, not Republican, not Democrat. There's a lot of credit around the world to George Bush for starting it. There's equal recognition that Barack Obama expanded it. And I think we want to be really careful about sending a signal that this is a political football. That's not going to serve anybody. Correct me if I'm wrong, but if this impasse is not overcome and there's not a reauthorization, then like some portion of funding ends at the conclusion of the fiscal year, September 30th. Can you just kind of like walk us through what the potential various scenarios are for reauthorization or not? If it's not reauthorized, a lot of the funding would continue, but it would dwindle over time, right? It's kind of the first blow because you've got to have something authorized before the money is appropriated. On the appropriation side, you never know what happens. There's quite frankly, a lot of support from appropriators. But I think what it would do is over time, it would definitely impact the program. There's no question. I think the second thing it would do would be to send a signal to the world that as as the global leaders and champions for 20 years of not just a global health fight, but of a fight that is about 
our collective dignity, our humanity, our values, that we're going to say, well, we've got some domestic politics and that's going to be more important. Rather than, you know, shifting those domestic politics to the proper venue. So I think that would be another impact. Over time, the challenge is if we ceased to do PEPFAR over time, what do you do about all those people who are on treatment today? What happens in terms of the disease itself and the spread of the disease? And what does that mean for the world? And frankly, also, what does it mean for us? Because it's not in our interest if this virus starts going the other direction. So the, the failure to reauthorize there's no upside. It's a net negative across the board. But as you noted, the program wouldn't like cease overnight. There's funding available for some time to keep elements of the program alive, but it would have like a negative impact on the program that presumably would compound the longer the program remains underfunded. Could you maybe like just say you're like an implementing partner, a partner government for PEPFAR and you see an uncertainty in its reauthorization, like how does that impact your decision making? Like I'm trying to think of some of like the downstream consequences of this kind of unfortunate, in my view, political impasse we're reaching in Congress. Yeah. Let's say I'm a health minister and I've been working with PEPFAR for a long time. We've made tremendous progress, as is true in many of these countries I have also increased my own budgetary contribution. We're really getting there. And then you hear these stories that maybe it's not going to be reauthorized, which also signals maybe this political consensus is starting to crumble. My first reaction would be panic. My second reaction would be, man, I've got to think about how I'm going to manage this in my country if suddenly or even if over time the funding I'm receiving shrinks substantially. And does that mean, for example, that rather than providing treatment to this cohort of 5,000 girls and young women who've tested positive, maybe I shouldn't make treatment available because maybe I'm not going to be able to sustain that. Like there's real life decisions that come out of the uncertainty. If I was watching this, I would be worried. Frankly, I would also be hopeful because we do have a 20-year track record of protecting PEPFAR from politics in a big way. But I'd be nervous if I was watching it. So one kind of option on the table that's at least being discussed in the media and that I think one prominent legislature, Chris Smith of New Jersey, who is one of the Republican members of Congress who's currently holding up PEPFAR after having been a huge supporter of PEPFAR. I think he called it like America's best foreign policy initiative since the Marshall Plan. Now, all of a sudden, he's raising these kind of abortion objection questions based on domestic politics. But one option I've seen floated in the context of his approach to this question is a one-year extension of PEPFAR or reauthorization of PEPFAR as opposed to the five-year. Is that like a compromise that the global health community is willing to take or even countenance? Look, there are a number of options that are being floated, Mark. And I think the good indication is that I think we are at a point where it's a discussion of options, right? Not up or down, yes or no. So that's a good thing. Any attempt to find a way forward is a good thing. I think the challenge with a one-year authorization is that doesn't 
do anything about the uncertainty and it kind of kicks it down the road. And so I think the more ideal outcome would be to find some agreement around a five-year authorization. And, and remember that President Trump, whose administration was not as enthusiastic as funding the global fight against AIDS, TB, and malaria, whether through PEPFAR, but also through the Global Fund, but whose budget was stocked and topped up by a coalition of Republicans and Democrats on the Hill, even during that administration in 2018, there was a clean five-year authorization. So I think what's really important and ideal is to get that five-year reauthorization, figuring out what may be necessary to do that, I think is a discussion that's ongoing. And and I think and certainly hope there's a willingness to find that. So again, if a one-year authorization is all that's possible, if it's that or nothing, sure. But a one-year authorization doesn't really solve the problem. So optimally, we can secure a five-year. So looking ahead in the coming weeks or even months, are there any particular actions of, say, individuals, indicators, or inflection points that you'll be looking towards that might suggest to you that indeed there will be a reauthorization of PEPFAR, or conversely, there might not be? You know, I don't know necessarily what there is to look for that would be terribly visible, quite frankly. Look, there's a budget process that goes on. There's questions of what legislative vehicle makes sense. So those are some of the things that may drive it. I think ultimately this will be resolved in what are likely to be more quiet conversations than public conversations. And that's fine. So long as there's resolution, I think that's a good thing. While there has been some media coverage, I think it has been relatively low profile given the implications of it. And I frankly think that's not a bad thing because I think sometimes these things are more easily resolved when people can just talk to each other and sort it out. I would be looking to, between now and the end of the year, the legislative process, keep an eye on. There will be some media coverage. And, you know, look, I think if there are things from individuals, the media, other messages that I think help this process, I think from all of us, regardless of where we may stand on any of the issues that are being mixed in here, I think our message needs to be that this is something we need to keep doing on a nonpartisan basis, as is. Let's not politicize it. Let's move those debates to other forums. And let's keep going because, you know, your quote from Chris Smith, he's not wrong. And this is just too big an initiative, too big a potential victory to weaken when we're, quite frankly, close to entering the home stretch. Thank you so much for your time. This was really helpful. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Global Dispatches. The show is produced by me, Mark Leon Goldberg. It is edited and mixed by Levi Sharp. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts, make sure to follow the show and enable automatic downloads to get new episodes as soon as they're released. On Spotify, tap the bell icon to get a notification when we publish new episodes. And of course, please visit globaldispatches.org to get on our free mailing list, get in touch with me, and access our full archive. Thank you.